Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel 1. As we begin this morning, I do not, this evening, excuse me, I do not regularly do this, but uh, let's begin with a word of prayer this evening. Father, we pray as we look into the Word of God that you would open our hearts and our minds to that which the Word of God has to show us this evening. I pray that the Spirit of God would guide and direct me as I preach uh, to relay properly the truths of God's Word as we see them in Ezekiel chapter 1. And Father, I pray that you would prepare the hearts of God's people to be receptive to the Word of God, that we would understand what this passage has to show to us as it is somewhat of a unique passage of Scripture. And Lord, that we would appreciate fully that which you are showing us about yourself through these prophecies. We pray for that clarity in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 1. If I were to ask you to describe in words the glory of God, how would you do it? How would you put such a concept as the glory of God into understandable terms? As I think about that, if I were to relate the glory of God, well, oftentimes we think of the glory of God in terms of results, don't we? God's actions bring glory to Him. God is glorious because He has made the universe. God is glorious because He has saved our souls. God is glorious because He has sent His only begotten Son. Other times, as we see in Scripture, there are many uh, appeals to God's glory because of Not what He has done, but who He is. God is glorious because He is just. God is glorious because He is righteous. God is glorious because He is holy. God is glorious because He is merciful, loving. Fill in the blank. We're looking at one of those passages today that describes God's glory in terms of who God is. But it's wrapped in a different package. I love in the morning to eat eggs with potatoes, with bacon. I am a scrambled egg guy. My wife is a fried egg person. I enjoy my eggs scrambled. And when you have scrambled eggs, there's lots of different ways that you can consume them. You can consume eggs and potatoes and bacon as individual elements. But if you're scrambling the egg anyway, well then you could also consume the egg, the bacon, and the potatoes as kind of a mishmash. One big thing. Scramble all together. And that's probably my favorite way to eat eggs, bacon, and mashed potatoes, or potatoes, all together. Not quite mashed potatoes, but chopped up potatoes, shredded potatoes, however. But you know, while the, the eggs and the bacon and the potatoes can come in many different forms, it's always the same stuff. While they can be wrapped in, sometimes my wife will wrap it in a tortilla, Sometimes she'll just give it to me all together. Sometimes she'll give me each thing separate. It's all the same stuff. It's just in a different package. Well, in Ezekiel chapter 1, you say, Pastor, what does this have to do with anything? In, in Ezekiel chapter 1, we're going to see the, the glory of God reflected in the attributes of God. But we're going to see this concept wrapped in a package that you won't find anywhere else in the Scriptures. We're going to see it reflected in a way that you will not see any other time. Now, there are some things that are close. There are some things that are reminiscent. But nothing like what Ezekiel is going to try to describe to us this evening. It will be wondrous. 
It's meant to reflect something almost incomprehensible to the human mind. And what we are going to see, Ezekiel describes and states to be the glory of the Lord. And so as we step into the passage this evening, this is indeed, as uh, Mike mentioned earlier, in, in a manner of speaking, this is kind of our first message in Ezekiel. Last week was a background message. The week before that was a book sermon. This is the first week where we're actually jumping into the content. As we do so, we're going to see three elements of Ezekiel's description of the glory of the Lord and the only appropriate response we can make to the glory of the Lord. Look with me, beginning in verse 1 of Ezekiel 1. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Kibar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Budzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kibar. And the hand of the Lord was upon him, was there upon him. In verses 4 through 14 this evening, the first element of Ezekiel's description of the glory of the Lord will be this Your God is omnipresent. Your God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He is everywhere. We enter into the life of Ezekiel in his 30th year. In verse 3, Ezekiel introduced himself as Ezekiel the priest. According to numerous references in Numbers 3, the 30th year was the year that a Levite began his priesthood. They would serve from the 30th year to the 50th year. And so this would have been the year had Ezekiel been in Jerusalem, where he would have begun his ministration in the temple. For he was indeed the son of a priest. But of course he was not in Jerusalem. He was by the river Kibar in a refugee camp outside of Babylon. Verse 2 tells us that the vision Ezekiel is about to describe was seen on the fifth day of the fourth month of the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity. We mentioned in our book sermon that this particular captivity began in 597 B.C. The first captivity was 605 B.C. This second captivity was 597 B.C. Ezekiel had been in captivity for five years, as it were, in this refugee camp. It was in the month Tammuz, the fourth religious month, of that year according to the Hebrew religious calendar. And in this month, the fourth month of the fifth year of his captivity, on the fifth day of the month, he saw something that would change his life forever. I've mentioned this briefly, but let's just park on it for just a moment before we move on. Why is it that Ezekiel is so particular with his dates in this book? Well, the first reason is most likely for context. Ezekiel is giving these prophecies over 22 years of life. That is a long time for him to prophesy. The second reason is most likely the more prominent reason and that's because what we will see is a dramatic, distinct difference between the prophecies that were given concerning the destruction of Jerusalem prior to its destruction and the prophecies that would be given after the destruction. About seven years after Ezekiel sees his first vision, Jerusalem will be destroyed, 586 B.C. Following the destruction of Jerusalem, Ezekiel's 
entire message changes. And so most likely a, a large portion of why it was so important to him that he recorded these dates was so that as we would expect, we can recognize when it is God's prophecies change from being that of heavy judgment, anger against his people for their sin to hope, restoration, God's faithfulness and love. We might liken this to the discipline that we would give to one of our children. This morning, as my wife was buckling Alethea in to go home, uh, Alethea did something that she was not supposed to do. And what that brought about was a circumstance where Alethea was told that when we got home, there would be a consequence. There was nothing I could do about it at the time. I was behind the wheel of the car. But when we got home, there was going to be a consequence. Well, as we were driving home, what consumed the thoughts of her father was this consequence. Number one, because it's not a good idea to tell them there's a consequence and then forget it. So I had to remember it. Number two, something I wasn't looking forward to at all, but it needed to happen. But you know, when we got home, we went up to the bedroom and we took care of the issue and we talked about what we had done wrong and we received chastisement for our actions and there was restoration of fellowship and there was forgiveness well now the thoughts changed the mind turns away from chastening and turns to restoration turns to that fellowship once again such was the case in Judah for seven years God through Ezekiel would give a message of chastisement of danger of judgment it was on his mind because it was indeed coming but once the judgment had happened, the only thing on God's mind was restoration of fellowship. The only thing on God's mind was a renewal of Judah. As we enter Ezekiel's vision, let me give you two helps concerning the interpretation of this vision. There will be two key words found throughout Ezekiel chapter 1 that we need to recognize and that will help us approach this passage and understanding. The first key word is the word likeness. The word likeness. You will see this word found numerous times. It will be used when he is trying to explain what things look like in, in understandable terms. When he's, try, when he's looking at something and he's trying to describe it, he will use the word likeness. When you think of the word likeness, associate it with the word description. Likeness, description. There will be a second word that he'll use regularly, and that's the word appearance. When he uses the word appearance, he's trying to explain what he sees with his senses. So when we th see the word appearance, be thinking perception. So likeness is a description. Appearance is a perception. Likeness is a description. Appearance is a perception. There's a subtle difference between them and I think it will help you as you're understanding what's going on in this kind of crazy passage of Scripture. Likeness, description, appearance, perception. Now it's important as well as we look at this passage that we don't get caught up in the content of Ezekiel's vision. If we spend all of our time trying to describe in tangible, understandable terms what it was Ezekiel saw, we're going to miss the point. I was doing some research. I was looking for a good picture that I could show of the cherry beam as we get into that this evening. And when, if, if you were to Google Ezekiel's 
the cherubims of Ezekiel or Ezekiel's wheels or Ezekiel's cherubims, you're going to find a lot of UFO sites. Because people have spent so much time focusing on what are these creatures and the wheels and the wheels that a lot of people think that they were aliens from outer space. Because they've spent time focusing on the vision that Ezekiel saw. Ezekiel did not give us this vision so that we can pick apart what he saw. He gave, gave us this vision for a specific reason and that specific reason is found in verse 28. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. All he is doing here is describing the glory of the Lord. We are not intended to get caught up in what he saw. We're intended to get caught up in who God is. We're not supposed to get caught up in what these wheels inside these wheels are or what these creatures are that have four heads and four wings. We're not intended to get caught up in that. We're intended to get caught up in God. And let's keep that in mind as we're trying to properly interpret this passage this evening. So let's dig into our first described element of God's glory. God is omnipresent. We begin in verse 4. And I looked and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself. And a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of a fire, also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four creatures. And it was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. And every one had four faces and every one had four wings. And their feet were straight feet. And the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings on the four sides. And they four had their faces and their wings. And their wings were joined one to another. And they turned not when they went. They went every one straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, they had, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side, and they four had the face of an ox on the left side, and they four had also, had also had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one were joined to one another, and two covered their bodies. And they went every one straight forward, whither the Spirit was to go, they went, and they turned not when they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire and like the appearance of lamps. It went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright, out of, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. We begin the vision with a whirlwind, what Ezekiel calls a great cloud coming out of the north. In the Hebrew, this world, word whirlwind or great cloud is the same word that we see in Job 38 verse 1, when God spoke to Job out of the whirlwind, the exact same word. It was not all that unusual for God to speak to people or to appear in His glory from a violent storm. Within this cloud, Ezekiel sees an enfolding fire, a fire that's turning in on itself, enfolding, almost as a ball of fire would enfold on itself. Shining bright with a seemingly solid center the color of a bright amber, a bright yellow color, like fire. If we could put it this way, 
It was a self-illuminated ball of raging fire. It would seem from a similar uh, description in verse 13 that this ball of bright enfolding fire was intended to be the appearance of the Spirit of God itself. Within this ball, Ezekiel saw the likeness, that would be the description of four living creatures. We will find out in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 5 that these creatures are called Cherubim, or Kerubim, as the Hebrew would describe it. The Cherubim is a plural Hebrew word for the word cherub. Cherubim are one of three particular classes of angelic beings that we know of from Scripture. The Cherubim, debatably, are the most common. They are the creatures that were placed at the east of the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. They are the creatures that were engraven on top of the Ark of the Covenant on either side of the mercy seat, their wings touching with the mercy seat in between them. Their likeness was also found all throughout Solomon's temple. We also see another classification of angel known as the seraphim. The seraphim are only found in one place in Scripture, that's in Isaiah chapter 6. In many books and in many thoughts, they are considered to be a higher class of angel. However, we do know that from the description in Ezekiel, from the description in Isaiah, that Satan, Lucifer, was a cherub. He's called the anointed cherub. And we know that he was very high in the classification of angels before his fall. There's one more classification of angel that we know of. We have the cherubim, we have the seraphim, and then we have the archangel. We don't know if the archangel is considered one or the other, but the only archangel mentioned in Scripture is Michael. He is also called a prince and seems to be divinely assigned to the nation of Israel. So here, we're dealing with what we'll find out to be in in chapter 10 of Ezekiel, the cherubim or cherubim. The description of these creatures is found in verses 6 through 11. We read it already. Four faces, four wings. They have straight feet like calf's feet. Their hands were like men's hands underneath their wings. They had four faces, or the likeness of four faces. A man's face, a lion's face, an ox face, and an eagle face. They had two wings which covered their bodies. They had two wings which, when Ezekiel saw them, at least at first, were stretched upward. We'll see a little bit later in the vision, they are going to stop moving, and when they stop moving, their wings will fall down at their side. One description, which we do not get in this passage, but which we will get in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 12, is that these cherubim were also covered. Their entire body was covered with eyes. Eyes everywhere. Let me give you put a visual description of these up on the screen. Now, when you think of the idea of a cherub, the the, the idea of a cherub has been a little bit confused because of the Renaissance period of art. Generally speaking, when we think of a cherub, this is what you would find if you googled cherub. There are these little naked babies with faces that look like they're adults and these little wings and they're always doing strange things and they're always around playing their harps and such and and around Valentine's Day the cherubs are always shooting arrows at people. No. That is not what a cherub looks like. Don't think... When you think cherub, do not think ugly man babies. Be thinking something more like this. I thought this was a pretty good reflection. Now what we see here are the wheels and the wheels. We haven't gotten to these yet. We'll get to them in a moment and we'll put this back up. Here we see the description of something that's like a man in his body. He's got a face of a man, a face of an ox, a face of a, 
of a lion. There's an eagle back there somewhere. Two wings which covers his body. Two wings that are out in the open. The feet like calves' feet. Flaming fire like the color of bear, like the color of amber. And eyes everywhere. Eyes everywhere. This would be more like the description of what Ezekiel saw. But again, we're not, we're not, we don't need to focus in on, on what he saw. We're focusing in on what it means. On what he's seeking to describe. Jared, could you black screen that for a moment, please? I'll come back to that same thing in a moment. Thank you, sir. According to verse 12, their movement was always straight. Regardless of what direction they, they went in, they never turned their bodies to go in that direction. They had four faces. They, they always moved straight, regardless, never turned. Note carefully that the King James translators in verse 12 did not capitalize that word spirit. This implies that they were not sure or did not believe that this spirit that was moving was the spirit of God. We see that the spirit of the creatures is spoken of in this passage as well as the spirit which we perhaps could believe to be the spirit of God. In verse 13, I believe, however, it makes it clear that the spirit directing these creatures was not the spirit within them, as in their spirits, but an external spirit. I believe that this spirit is indeed the spirit of God. I believe that the it of of verse 13, it went up and down among the living creatures, is the spirit that dictated to them whether they, whether they should go. And I believe the spirit of verse 12 is actually the description of what we see in verse 4. The whirlwind out of the north, the great cloud, the fire enfolding itself, the, out of the midst thereof, this color of amber out of the midst of the fire. I believe that is the spirit that was moving among them and that the spirit is the Spirit of God that was directing them in the way that they should go. Look at verse 13. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire and like the appearance of lamps. It, not they, it, the Spirit, went up and down among the living creatures and the fire was bright and out of the fire went forth lightning and the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. As I mentioned, you will notice that it is in singular, not plural tense. It's an indefinite pronoun. We need to find its antecedent. In this case, the pronoun being singular, the closest antecedent to that pronoun is the word spirit in verse 12. Most likely, the description would then be as follows. In the midst of the tempest was a bright, fiery globe of enfolding fire. Within this globe of enfolding fire was four Cherubim. This ball of enfolding fire is described as a spirit which shot forth lightning. It moved among the living creatures and as it moved by them, and as the creatures were moving, as they came one across another, the creatures flashed into view, immediately coming in and out of view as it were like lightning flashes. Have you ever been out on a dark night with lightning flashes and you can't see anything and then that lightning flashes and everything's illuminated for a moment and then it's gone again? That is the idea of what Ezekiel is seeing here as this bl bright globe is moving within these creatures, uh, in between these creatures, and these creatures are moving without turning to and from, and everything's moving back and forth, and he's seeing flashes of what's going on here briefly as everything is moving. As we continue in the text, it will become more apparent what all of these things represent. 
Here we see creatures that never need to turn, that are moving in accordance with the Spirit. They are illuminated by its fire and are, it would seem, constantly moving. We might say, they're everywhere, working the will of God through the Spirit of God. I believe this is a picture of God's omnipresence. As Ezekiel is looking at the very character of the glory of God, he is seeing creatures that are moving throughout the entire earth, quickly illuminating, seeing all, knowing all. God is everywhere as we see these creatures moving. God is omnipresent. Second, in verses 15-21, through 21, we see that God is omniscient. He knows all. He sees all. And that's what we're going to see in these second in the second point. Ezekiel's attention turns toward another wonder in verse 15. Look at it with me. Now as I beheld the living creatures, behold, one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of a barrel. And they four had one likeness. And their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they went, they went upon their four sides. And they turned not when they went. As for their rings, they were so high that they were dreadful. And their rings were full of eyes round about them four. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went by them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Whithersoever the Spirit was to go, they went thither with their Spirit to go. And the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. When those went, these went. When those stood, these stood. When those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And the likeness of the firmament... We'll, we'll, we'll pick up in verse 21 later. I was just getting a little excited there for a moment. Whew. Okay. Here we see, by, next to these cherry beam, wheels. As Ezekiel describes these wheels, he calls them like the color of barrel, and he says that they were wheels inside wheels, wheels within wheels. Think of it as one wheel looking this way, one wheel this way. We'll pop up the, go ahead and pop up the description again if you would, and we'll, we'll take a look. Now, I would say that they were probably more at 90 degree angles than turned at these, these kind of um, um, steeper angles. But, but this is very similar to what he's describing here. It's a wheel within a wheel going opposite ways. And when they moved, the wheels didn't turn. The wheels didn't roll. The wheels, like the beasts themselves, like the chariot beam, just moved. It was all moving, not turning, not, not changing direction, not, not um, rotating. It was all just moving. And wherever the, the chariot beam went, Wherever the Spirit went, wherever the Spirit of the creatures went, these wheels went. And so the wheels were moving, the creatures were moving, everything was moving together. And along these wheels, along the spokes of these wheels were eyes. Eyes, eyes, eyes. And so if you think, there are eyes going this way, there are eyes going this way. 360 degree vision is what's being described here. 360 degrees of vision. The wheels are described as dreadful, literally terrifying, awe-inspiring, eyes all around them. The firmament or the sky above the Spirit and the chariot beams and the wheels is described as being the color of crystal as it stretched forth above their heads. We'll come back to this in a moment. But here we see with greater clarity what these beasts, what these creatures are doing and their purpose in doing it. 
as we mentioned in reference to God's omnipresence, these creatures are moving all around. From the earth to the firmament. Up and down. Earth to sky. Back and forth. Wherever the Spirit tells them to go, they go. Near them, however, were these wheels. These wheels were full of eyes. These creatures were full of eyes. And it's here we see what they're doing. They're watching. They are watching. They are going to and fro and they are watching. We mentioned from Ezekiel 10 that the cherubims were covered in eyes as well. We see that the wheels covered with eyes, gigantic 360 degree vision wheels, never turning, always watching. It was Hanani, the seer, who said to King Asa in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. I believe what we are seeing in Ezekiel chapter 1 is a vision seeking to put some sort of comprehension to the idea that the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth. Wheels within wheels. Eyes everywhere. Cherry beam being led by the Spirit of God. Eyes everywhere. Enfolding fire like the color of amber, like the color of barrel, all underneath the firmament. What a picture of the, of the omnipresence and omniscience. He's everywhere. He sees everything. He knows everything. God knows. It is possible, as I would understand the actions and functions of these creatures and that they are led by the Spirit, that these creatures are some physical representation of the eyes of the Lord. What does it mean? It means God is not just everywhere. It means He sees everything. The entire depiction of these creatures was to reveal to the reader that nothing escapes the watchful eye of Jehovah God. And by the way, nothing has changed that today. Ezekiel's vision was about 2,500 years ago, but as Proverbs 15 verse 3 states, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. There is not a thing that goes on in this world that God does not see. He sees in the light. He sees in the darkness. He sees that which is open. He sees that which you think is concealed. He sees what you do. He sees what you think. He knows your intentions as well as He knows your actions. And as God presented His glory to Ezekiel, He wanted Ezekiel to know that His Holy Spirit was everywhere, omnipresent, and knows everything, sees everything, omniscient. Israel's false piety did not hide their wicked hearts nor does our false piety hide our wicked hearts. If we are living in sin, if we come dressed to look good on Sunday only to live wickedness for the rest of the week, take heed because the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Your God is omnipresent. Your God is omniscient. Third and finally in verses 22-28, through 28, your God is on the throne. Your God is on the throne. In verses 22 through 25, we pan above the creatures and the wheels and the firmament. Look at verses 22 to 25. Excuse me, we, we pan to the firmament in these verses. 
And the likeness of the firmament upon the heads of the living creatures was the color of terrible crystal stretched forth over their heads above. And under the firmament were their wings straight, one toward the other. Every one had two which covered on this side, and every one had two which covered on that side their bodies. And when they went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of great waters, as the voice of the Almighty, the voice of speech, as the noise of an host. When they stood, they let down their wings. And there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads when they stood and had let down their wings. We describe the firmament already as being the color of crystal. The creatures were moving underneath. The firmament simply means a canopy. So there was a point where as Ezekiel is seeing these creatures go along the earth where there, there came a threshold, a canopy, and they would only go up that high and then they would come down again. They were working within the bounds of this space and that space in its top had a, had a, a, a ceiling, a firmament. And while they were moving, Ezekiel describes many things that he not just saw, but he, that he heard. In verse 24, we see the same Hebrew word used five times. The word is kol. It's translated noise or voice. We see it in verse 24. The noise of their wings, the noise of great waters, the voice of the Almighty, the voice of speech, the noise of an host. It's all the exact same word. Five times Ezekiel is hearing the sound of wings. He's hearing the sound of a voice. He's hearing the sound of a host. There are sounds bombarding him as he is seeing flashes like lightning and these creatures moving and he's hearing wings flapping and he's hearing voices crying and he's hearing the sound of a host. Talk about sensory overload. At some point, the Scriptures tell us the creatures stopped. So they were moving. They, he hears these wings and then they land. They stop moving. And he says their wings came down at their sides. No more flapping. All of that noise ceased. And then Ezekiel says, I heard another voice. See, everything ceased because Ezekiel had something else he needed to hear. God said, stop moving so Ezekiel can hear something else. And he heard a voice. And this time it wasn't coming from below the firmament. It was coming from above the firmament. Above the firmament was a sight more radiant than anything Ezekiel had seen thus far. He had seen flashes of glory with the barrel and the fire and folding fire and the lightning. Now he's going to see something entirely different. He sees a throne. A throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone with the likeness and appearance of a man upon it. Look with me in verse 26. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man upon it. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward, from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire and it had brightness round about. Surrounding this throne with the appearance of a man was the radiant brightness like as fire both around it and within it so that the one upon the throne was masked, was covered in glorious brightness. He couldn't see what was on the throne or who was on the throne. He could only see a, a silhouette, a likeness because the brightness and the radiance and the fire and all of the glory that was surrounding this throne. And then we see in verse 28... 
as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. As Ezekiel seeks to describe the brightness surrounding the throne of God, he says it looked like a rainbow. Recall where Ezekiel is when he's seeing this vision. He's not sitting in the temple in Jerusalem basking in God's presence. He is sitting in a refugee camp outside of Babylon, the city which has conquered his nation and has taken him captive. He hears news from Jerusalem where Jeremiah, at the same time Jeremiah is in Jerusalem calling the people unto repentance. And for Jeremiah's words, he was arrested, he was thrown in the stocks, he was beaten, he was scorned. It was Ezekiel's 30th year, maybe that morning, as he was thinking about it being his 30th year, maybe he thought, where would I be right now if I were in Jerusalem? Would I be ministering before the mercy seat? Would I be lighting the fires of the incense? Would I be keeping the wicks of the candles trimmed? Would I be singing praises unto God? But he wasn't there, was he? He was a captive in Babylon. Did God even know? Did God see? Did God understand what had happened to his people? Was God even in control? Had God forsaken his people? Well, the creatures reveal to us that God did indeed know. The wheels reveal to us that God did indeed see. The throne reveals to us that God is indeed in control. And the rainbow, a sign of the covenant between God and man after the flood, the rainbow reveals that God had not forsaken His people. That God would be faithful to Israel. God would tell the people some years later through the prophet Malachi in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord. I change not. You have a God that knows. You have a God that sees. You have a God that is in control. And you have a God that is eternally faithful. His glory surrounds all His works. His magnificence overshadows everything that is touched by Him. And He is your God. This vision brought Ezekiel to a response. Whenever we come face to face with who God is and sincerely understand who He is, there is only one response that we can possibly have and that is this. We will stand in awe. We will stand in awe. So we've seen that your God is omnipresent, the creatures. We've seen that your God is omniscient, the wheels. We've seen that your God is on the throne. He's in control and He is faithful, the throne of God and the rainbow. Now finally, our conclusion, our application, folks, stand in awe and sin not. Look at verse 28. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was, now he's going to tell us what he has been describing. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. But notice his response. 
And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. We have read about the creatures, we've read about the wheels, we've read about the crystal firmament, we've read about the flashes of lightning, the unfolding of fire, but none of this is an end in and of itself. All of these elements are simply Ezekiel's insufficient attempts at describing something much greater. It's all an attempt to describe the glory of the Lord. Ezekiel was not seeing UFOs. He was not having hallucinations of grandeur. He was attempting as best a mortal man can to describe something that was indescribable, to describe the very personification, the very image of the glory of the Lord. When Isaiah came face to face with God's glory in Isaiah chapter 6, the Scriptures tell us he fell upon his face and the only thing he could say is, Woe is me. I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Ezekiel was confronted with the glory of God, the Scriptures tell us he fell upon his face, he yielded himself unto the voice that calls. Let me ask you this evening. Have you ever done that? Have you ever truly come face to face with who God is and who you are in light of who God is? Have you ever come to the point in your life where you have seen the glory of God? I'm not talking about hallucinating here. I'm not talking about physically seeing chariot beam and wheels and wheels. But have you ever read the Word of God and come to the understanding of who God is and who you are in light of who He is? The psalmist said in Psalm 4, verse 4, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. When we see God for who He is, when we understand His attributes, when we understand His character, when we understand His faithfulness, when we see ourselves for who, who we are in light of who He is, we will respond with humility. We talked this morning about humility from James chapter 4, verses 6-10. through 10. That if we humble ourselves in the sight of God, He will lift us up. If you could describe the glory of the Lord, you could do no better than to claim the eyewitness account of Ezekiel. God's glory is rooted not inherently in what He does, but in who He is. God is glory. Glory surrounds all of His works because He is glorious. And whenever somebody takes you to Ezekiel chapter 1, or if you would ever desire or need to fully describe the glory of God, perhaps you can take people to Ezekiel 1 and you can show them God's omnipresence, God's omniscience, God's sovereignty, God's faithfulness as rooted in what Ezekiel saw on that day. Glory surrounds all of God's works. May the glory of God compel us to obey the words of Psalm 29, verse 2. And we'll close with this verse. Give unto the Lord the glory that is due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness.